0: Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hi friends, welcome to Praying for America on this Friday night, the 27th of January. I uh, am going to share a scripture with you as usual, Uh, one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture actually. And uh, then what I wanna take time to do tonight is answer questions that have come in from you. So often, questions are being received here. We answer people individually when they email us questions or write letters. And online, it's hard to keep up with all the the questions. We don't always have the opportunity to uh, be answering them at the moment that they're asked, but we collect them and we respond to them as we are able, and that's what I'm going to do some of tonight. So I appreciate all your questions. Keep sending them in, and uh, we'll have our team, which is expanding actually, uh, answer uh, more and more of them for you. The parable I want to um, talk about uh, this evening is from Luke chapter 16. It's the rich man and Lazarus. So starting in verse 19, we read, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted splendidly every day. At his gate lay a beggar named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. He longed to eat the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And from his place in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham afar off, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am tortured in these flames. But Abraham replied, Son, remember, that you in your lifetime received your good things, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Oh no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand this teaching. Help us to understand that this rich man was not condemned because he was rich, but because he ignored the other man. Because he took it upon himself to judge the value of a human life. Because he thought that because Lazarus had less, he was worth less. Father, help us understand this teaching and the burden and the obligation that it places on us to live justly and to respond to the needs of those who beg at our table. Father, help us to see the Lazarus of our times, knocking at the door of life, the unborn child, knocking for the opportunity to be born, all who are in need, turning to us and saying, Have mercy on us, even as we, O God, turn to you and say, Have mercy on us. May those, O Lord, who receive mercy and help from you Likewise, give that mercy and help to all their brothers and sisters. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, certainly this passage uh, has its obvious meaning. Don't neglect the poor. Don't neglect the needy. Don't think that you you can judge people based on their appearance or their net worth or anything like that. But I actually like to focus on the meaning of this parable that comes at the end. That is, the idea that these brothers who are living the same way would repent if someone comes back to them from the dead to tell them to take care of the needy, to tell them not to prejudge the value of a human life, That they would repent if someone came back from the dead but that they would not repent by hearing the law of Moses and the prophets. The law of Moses and the prophets already warns us that we have to care for the distressed. Already warns us that we have to respect life, that we have to lift each other up. It already warns us of those things. It already tells us how we have to live. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if one should rise from the dead. And the question is, why not? Why not? And the answer is because their hearts are closed. If you close the door and shut it tight and you're in a dark room, whether there's a flashlight outside that door or the brightness of the sun, you're still in the darkness. And if you don't want to open the door to that light, it doesn't matter how bright the light is. Yes, if someone should rise from the dead, that'll startle you. And of course, Jesus did. And yet, some still reject him. If you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, you have a problem, not because they aren't clear, In their teaching, they are. Not even because it isn't the word of God, it is. It's because of the hardness of the heart. We have to pray for the grace of an open heart. Then we'll be attentive to the lessons that come to us from human reason, as well as from revelation, the lessons that come to us from the law and the prophets, as well as from the gospel of the risen Christ. It's the open heart. You know, you see the parallel lesson. In John chapter 9, the man born blind, you remember what happened? That was evidence that Jesus was from God. No one had ever heard of a man born blind being healed and being given back his sight. Jesus did a mighty miracle that caused many to believe in him. But the Pharisees, with closed, hardened hearts, they were faced with the very same evidence. But they kept trying to deny and dispel the evidence. First, they tried to deny that it was the same man who was the blind uh, uh, beggar and 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 uh, uh, now the one who could see. They tried to deny it was the same man. They asked the parents, "Was he really born blind? Is this your son? Oh yes, this is him. Now uh, we don't know how he sees now." And then we have the other part of the story where uh, the man himself, who was healed of the blindness, comes gradually to acknowledge Jesus. He says first he is a prophet, and then he says he's from God, and then finally at the end, remember Jesus finds him after he learns that he had suffered on account of it because they threw him out of the synagogue for speaking up for, for Jesus. And Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you have faith? Is your heart open enough to accept the Savior who has come? And what he says is, yes, I, am, I have an open heart. because the way he phrases this is, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Tell me, I'm ready to receive him. And then, of course, Jesus tells him it's him. And he worships him. He worships him. He calls him Lord. That's the recovery of the sight. That's the eyesight. We're all enlightened through our baptism, through our faith. It's the sacrament of enlightenment. We see who God is. We see who Jesus is. But then the Pharisees hear this. And Jesus says, I have come that the blind might see and that the seeing might be blind. And and the Pharisees say, you are not calling us blind, are you? And then you remember what Jesus says. If you were blind, there would be no sin in that. So in other words, there are many who do not yet have faith. That doesn't mean that they have a closed heart. The problem might be on the part of the preachers. They haven't gotten to them yet. Just to be someone who doesn't have faith, that that doesn't necessarily mean they're rejecting it. They're waiting to hear it. If you were blind, there would be no sin in that. But then he goes on to say, but but we see, you say, and your sin remains. Those who are blind but claim to see, self-righteous, putting themselves above everybody else, we see, we see, and meanwhile they're walking in the darkness. We see, we see, and meanwhile they're condemning, condemning and punishing those who really do see, and they remain in their blindness if you were blind there would be no sin in that but we see you say and your sin remains you see what the problem was they were faced with the same evidence that the believers were faced with the pharisees saw the same miracle that the man born blind saw everybody saw the same thing whether they responded to it with faith, depended on whether their hearts were open or closed. So, brothers and sisters, let me move on to, uh, by the way, in regard to the issue that I deal with all the time, that many of you are involved with us on, the abortion issue that's tearing our country apart, both of these stories are played out every day. Because we all have the same evidence. Here is what the unborn child is. You see the little few seconds of the unborn child at the beginning of each of these programs. Here is the unborn child. And then if you go to sites like lookatabortion.org, you'll see the violence of abortion. It's hard to take, but I urge you to watch it and share it. Take a look at it. Lookatabortion.org. It depends on how closed the heart is, whether upon seeing that evidence, we will rise up and repent of consenting in any way, shape, or form, or tolerating in any way, shape, or form this mass slaughter of children, or whether we will be like Biden, Pelosi, and the Democrat Party, and the abortion industry, and say, continue to say, Oh, this is okay this is a right this is a choice what an insult to humanity to civilization to basic decency this is barbarism and and, and, and it's a crime against humanity and it's time for us to repent okay let me uh, answer some of the questions uh, that have come in uh, uh, from uh, various viewers, and uh, all of these are very, very good questions and important ones. Some of them have to do with uh, these issues um, on pro-life and politics and the movement, and some of them have to do with, uh, with me and some uh, of the actions that the church recently took in my regard. Um, let's look at, first of all, this question, who can I contact to help me get rights for the fathers of unborn babies, you know that is a is is a wonderful question. And put it in context: uh, the uh, policy in our nation on abortion has, from the beginning, fr- from from uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973, deprived fathers of any say in whether their unborn child lives or dies. Now, that in itself doesn't make any sense. In life, in reality, they remain one of the strongest and one of the most significant influences of course uh over the question of that life and if many fathers make the mistake of saying oh you know it's up to you it's your choice i'm going to leave it up to you but all that does for the mother is isolates her more makes her feel more of the burden and in fact increases the temptation to abort what that man has to do is step up to the plate and say i'm with you we're going to get through this no matter whether we have a future together or not that's a separate question but right now I'm with you. It took two of us to conceive that child. I'm going to walk through this with you, and I'm in support of you. Let's do what's best for our child. Let's not bring death to the child or and bring harm to you from the abortion procedure and a lifelong regret of having taken the life of your child. No, let's get through this. Let's get the help that we need. Let's assess the circumstances. Let's do what's right. That's what the man is supposed to be saying. And it, 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 However, Aside from the moral influence, aside from the personal influence that he no doubt has over that situation. Legally, up to this point anyway, the law has not given him any rights in the matter. Now, there are various pro-life legal groups. Uh, Thomas More Society, for example, based out of Chicago, Tom Brecca been advocating for the rights of pro-life people for many years, the American uh, uh, Center for Law and Justice, the American Freedom Law Center which uh, advises us here at Priest for Life. There are many pro-life legal groups out there who do advocacy and who could look at a concrete situation where a father is trying to assert his rights. And there have been court cases over, these last 50 years of the Roe v. Wade regime, that decision now, of course, has been tossed out. But but there have been even court cases where fathers have asserted their rights and, uh, unfortunately, uh, have been told that they, they have no rights. But let me answer the question ultimately this way. Who we can go to now to advance the rights of fathers for unborn babies are our legislators. Because something big has changed now. The lack of rights of the father over what will happen to his unborn child came through Roe v. Wade and later Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But both of those decisions now have been thrown out by the court, and the door now is wide open to new laws that could restore the rights of fathers vis-a-vis the abortion decision, that could restore their rights. Brothers and sisters, this is an important moment to keep that in mind. The lawmakers now are no longer hindered by the courts to restore the rights of fathers. The, 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 the field is wide open, and if they want to pass such a law, they can't. And that's why they need to hear from you, especially fathers who want to advocate for their rights to protect their unborn children. By the way, there's also so much healing for fathers who have lost children to abortion, whether they were participating in the, the guilt of the abortion or not. Many of them were trying to save their child, but weren't able to. I want you to know there's forgiveness and healing, and we're involved in bringing about that forgiveness and healing in so many different ways. You can go to abortionforgiveness.com, abortionforgiveness.com to find a lot of those um, avenues of, uh, of healing. What Bible translation does Father Frank use? Okay, well, the revised uh, this is the new international version, NIV, uh, I often use. Just as often I use the RSV, the revised uh, standard version. And often I'll also use the NAB, the new American Bible. Actually, to tell you the truth, I use the version that I use the translation, often depending upon, the sense that I want to draw out of a particular passage. In other words, understand that translation is not like mathematics. Uh, Mathematics is a pretty exact science. You know, what's on the left side of the equation, what's on the right side of the equation are are identical. Uh, It's a a one-to-one relationship, mathematics. Translation is not like that. Because languages express concepts in different ways. So sometimes a word or a phrase in one language has a cluster of meanings and implications that if you just translate it directly, in the language into which you're translating it, there's there's a different cluster of connotations and implications and nuances. It's not that they're going to be totally disconnected, no. But different enough to say that okay, well, one translation of a particular uh, a, a phrase uh, may be better than another. For not not in order to read into it something that's not there, but to bring out of it something that is there. Because a lot of these phrases, passages, and words have such a depth of meaning that uh, you know it's actually good if you're studying a particular scripture passage. It's good to take. Multiple translations of it and, and read it in all those different uh, translations. If you go to uh, Bible Hub, many of you might be familiar with Bible Hub online. It's a website where you can get um, the uh, not only different translations of each verse, but look at all the different commentaries on that verse. It's a very helpful uh, resource. Here's another question. Um, where can I find Father Frank's homilies? Prolifemass.org. I have lots of homilies up there. Prolifemass.org Why is abortion still wrong in cases of rape, incest, and when the mother's life is in danger? Okay, good question, because a lot of people, in fact, I would say most people, are pro-life in the sense that they don't want to see babies killed. But they'll they'll consider abortion sometimes acceptable in these cases that this, this questioner just mentioned. However... The reason why it's still wrong in those cases is that it's still the killing of a baby. You you can never kill an innocent person even in order to achieve a good purpose. But if you're talking about rape, incest, well, let's start with those, rape and incest. The abortion doesn't achieve anything to heal that person from the rape and incest. Obviously, the rape and incest, they're terrible traumas. They're they're awful crimes. She has been um, victimized but why hurt her more? Remember, the abortion is hurting her more, not helping her. We we can all agree she's been very hurt, unjustly traumatized by that that rape, by that sexual assault. We wanna help her. Abortion has a whole trauma of its own. And that's the missing piece of the argument. It's easy for people to run and say, oh, well, this is the solution. This is the solution. She won't be pregnant anymore with the baby of the rapist. Well, hold on a second. Not being pregnant anymore, it's not like you're turning back the clock. You can't turn back the clock. And it's not like you have a magic wand or a big eraser. What you're doing is killing the child, and in the process bringing to her the guilt, she may not feel that guilt immediately, but she's got her whole life in front of her, to suffer from that guilt that I killed my child. It's my child too. It's a rapist child, but it's also mine. Be careful. And as far as when the mother's life is in danger, the good news is killing the child is never required medically. Ending the pregnancy is sometimes required Medically but you can end the pregnancy in such a way that you do everything you can to save the child. That's a far cry from killing the child. Very, very different morally speaking, but that in a nutshell is why, why that's the case. Now, the trial of Mark Houck, uh, has been underway during these days. The Philadelphia pro-life activist, I, I know him. In fact, I was with him recently and, um, he was praying outside an abortion facility. A pro-abortion protester started harassing him. And his child, who was there, in defending his child, he, he told a man to stop. He pushed him away. And, um, and uh, the local prosecutors dismissed the, the, the case when the, the pro-abortion person uh, brought, brought it uh, to them. But the Biden administration picked up on this and uh, is uh, uh, trying to prosecute this man under federal law. Uh, The question here is, is the funding of the case with the Thomas Moore Society legitimate? Yes, it is. I'm happy to tell you. The Thomas Moore Society is one of those pro-life legal groups I mentioned a few minutes ago. And yes, they've been representing Peter Breen. In fact, I interviewed him on one of these programs. Uh, Peter Breen is is with that thomas moore society and yes they are legitimately uh asking for help with um the legal uh, uh defense of mark hauck it's of interest to all of us not only because we're pro-life but because this is another example of the way the democrat party and the biden administration are weaponizing the fbi weaponizing various systems and processes of government Against their ideological and political opponents. Finally, you know, I've told you, you followed the story of how the Vatican has told me, oh, well, you know, you're you're too outspoken, you know, you can't function as a priest anymore, too political, too much supporting President Trump, all this other stuff. The, the church can't you know what? The church today, the leadership today, they just can't hack it. They can't deal with the kind of battles that we're in today. You and I can deal with them. We, we know how to fight these battles. So many of these leaders, they're wimps. They don't know how to fight these battles. They're absolute failures in fighting these battles. And so when they see someone fighting the battle, they get all nervous. They get all uncomfortable. And, and they say, get this person away from us. He's making us uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You're going to get way more uncomfortable because I'm not shutting up and neither are the people watching this program. But the question here is, didn't Padre Pio... Now, for those of you that aren't Catholic, this is a a uh, well-revered saint in the Catholic Church. He was an Italian Catholic priest. And and, uh, didn't he go through similar problems with the Church? Similar, yes, because uh, the Vatican also uh, uh, told him he couldn't function as a priest. And, uh, however, a subsequent pope uh, looked into his situation more closely and said... It is not that I've been badly disposed towards Padre Pio. I've just been badly informed. And he reinstated him uh, to his uh, priestly functions. So, yes, he went through similar. And many people have been reminding me uh, about Padre Pio. Um, I knew the story, but now I know it in more detail because because I'm going through a similar thing. But listen, like Padre Pio, I'm not, uh, you know, abandoning. Uh, the faith I grew up with. I'm not rebelling against the the church. I'm just trying to bring about some reform, but uh, not abandoning the church or going away from it. In fact, what I'm doing is knocking at the door and saying, may I be reinstated so that I can continue my priestly functions. As far as my pro-life functions, they're continuing anyway. Because like what I'm doing now, broadcasting with you, commenting on what's going on around us, praying together with you, that doesn't require being a priest. There's a lot of, most of the things I do in the pro-life movement don't require priestly functions. And you, the people of God, want us to continue doing them. So guess what? We're going to continue doing them. Let's pray. Father, we ask your mercy upon our nation. Your blessing upon our church your your strength upon our, our pro-life movement your spirit upon us all individually as families as, as communities of faith as political activists as lovers of america lord we ask your spirit help us to like these scripture passages that we looked at today help us to have an open heart to hear the message of moses and the prophets and the law and the gospel the one who rose from the dead and does teach us yet today from his risen glory in heaven how to live on earth and how to reach that heavenly destination. Teach us, teach us, mold us, enlighten us, uplift us, transform us. And Lord God, in the living out of our gospel call, may we save lives, may we save America, and may we find you So, friends, have a great weekend. I'm going to be going to Texas early in the morning. I'll be speaking at a pro-life conference out there in the Austin, Texas area, and also taking part in a rally midday tomorrow. I'll be uh, posting some things on social media from uh, the events of these next two days. Sunday morning, I'll be uh, speaking at the uh, prayer breakfast uh, at this event. Uh, It's called the Boots on the Ground Conference Stay connected with me on social media so that you can see what's going on with these various events. Uh, FR Frank Pavone is the uh, address on all the main platforms, FR Frank Pavone. Let's stay connected there. Connect with Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. And join me again on Monday evening for Praying for America. God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast.